Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. It's so good having you here for these in-depth conversations. The Love Code is all about inspiring you, uplifting you, being um, able to reconnect to who we are, open our hearts, and understand the power we have to heal ourselves. And especially these days, it's always great to remember the truth about who we are, that we are connected to all of life, and that we have a profound power to heal and transform our lives. And today is another opportunity to transform our lives. Before we go there, I just want to remind everyone, if you would like to get the archives of this show and the other show I do on Progressive Radio Network, which is What Women Must Know, then you can either go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know, or you can just go right to my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and opt in there so I can just send out all the shows to you. One way or the other, you can get the archive shows from all of the programs I do, and I know you don't want to miss any of them because I have wonderful guests like I'm having today and inspirational um, transforming healing information, and it's all about empowering you in your life. So let's talk about the conversation I'm having today with Dr. Rachel Allen. We're talking about reclaiming your body's bliss and reigniting your passion for life. And my guest is Dr. Rachel Allen. And just a little bit about her before we jump into our conversation. Rachel is a licensed clinical psychologist, certified yoga instructor, public speaker, and relationship columnist. She is the founder of Yoga Psych, a psychotherapy practice for adults that blends Western medicine with Eastern philosophy and connects the mind and the body. She has been in private practice for almost 15 years working with individuals and couples dealing with sexuality, intimacy, and relationship problems, as well as trauma, depression, anxiety, and loss. She's been quoted in books and magazines, including Yoga Journal, Women's Health, Outside, Good Housekeeping, and Cosmopolitan. And she's the author of her latest book, The Pleasure is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Rachel Allen to the show today. So hello and welcome, Rachel. Hello, thank you for having me, and it is my pleasure as well. Let's let's use the word as much as possible. <laughs> I agree. It's a great word. So mm-hmm. uh, so congratulations on your new book. First of all, it's always exciting to have a book out. The pleasure is all yours. And uh, I I want us to start by having you share a bit about your journey and what what guided you into the work you're doing and certainly into the task of writing this book. Tell us about yourself. Yes. uh, You know, it's interesting. People do ask me frequently what led me to want to go into relationship and sexual health. People don't seem as curious about why I also focus a lot on mind-body connection. Um, but there's something about that relationship and sexual health piece, certainly that, um, you know, maybe is more intriguing to people than if I was a accountant, for example. But um, for me, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in what psychologists call a sex-positive household, having a, a mom who was really more open um, about the kind of reproductive body and just, sort of natural aspects of the human body and 
talking more openly about relationships in an age-appropriate way. And what I noticed is that a lot of my peers, that was not the case, especially where I grew up in the Midwest, where it can be a little bit more repressed within the United States. Um, and then I also had a father who was really encouraging me to have mind-body connection and, and as far as an athlete. And so I've been an athlete my whole life um, and connected to my body in that way. And so my work is really um, a combination of both the pleasure and power that we can feel in our bodies as a sexual being, as an athlete, as a human being, and how a connection to our bodies can also really enhance in our connection to others. So that that the book has been born of the fact that I, I know a lot of clients and friends throughout my life that have been disconnected from their bodies, really estranged from knowing or liking their body. And certainly a lot of people who have guilt and shame and misunderstanding or conflicted feelings about their role um, as a sexual being. And, and then that really cuts off both emotional and physical intimacy that could bring them greater pleasures in their life. So that is what led me to put together this book. Well, well that covers, a, a, you know, a great width and depth of information. So I, I'd like to start by um, talking about what you mean by being disconnected from your body. Let's go into that subject a bit so we can get a sense of what, what happens to people and how that impacts them in their lives? It can impact people in so many ways. And what's unfortunate is that as children, we are more in tune with the language of our body and intuition more so than as adults because um, a lot of my book also is more specifically critical of of American conditioning around um, our body or really around the fact that we put the mind on a pedestal uh, and valorize that, whereas we denigrate the body as savage and primal and leading us astray. And I think a lot of that came from uh, puritanical religions as well as the Industrial Revolution, all these ways in which we needed to stay on course to work harder, faster, stronger, more productivity. So there has been all these centuries of, of conditioning telling us that um, the mind is the seat of reason, I think, therefore I am, and that we can really think our way out of everything and, and figure everything out all from our intellect. And I'm certainly not saying that our intellect isn't quite amazing and capable, but when we leave out the resource of the body, we're really uh, forgetting that a, a very wise piece of information within us, for starters. And secondly, we now know with research that our body holds past trauma. Past trauma lives in our body, and it wants recognition, and it wants to move through. We can't simply think our way out of our past trauma. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I have clients that will have all sorts of wonderful mental insights, and then they don't understand why they are stuck in reactive patterns and why they're they're still dealing with aches or pains or sluggishness um, when they think that they've mentally got the insights and figured it all out. So a lot of my my book really talks about this idea of bodyfulness, which. Uh, recognizes that although mindfulness is wonderful, it's not quite enough because it doesn't involve the 
that practice of actually getting to the trauma in the body and having safe and healthy ways to release it. I can go on and on, you know, but I'll let I you. I'll let you. In. <laughs> okay, we'll give you time to go on and on. You know, it just mm-hmm. reminds me when I was working as a psychotherapist, I would always say that you know you um, you know figuring things out and working on a conscious level will never resolve any of the traumas or wounds or the you know the suppressed emotions that we're carrying that's manifesting in our life. You can't just think your way out of pain and suffering. So um, can you give us an example, perhaps, in, in the in your practice of what you know how this how this plays out, so people can get more of an idea of what it is that you're really exploring. Yeah, I think there. I, well, because I do a lot with also relationship issues. I will see how people are playing out uh, reactive patterns with regard to attachment issues in relationships as far as anxious or avoidant attachment or a vacillation between the two. And so they might know on a mental level that they had some abandonment earlier in their life. And, and, And this is probably one of the more complicated examples, too, that I'm bringing up. But I see it it's so prevalent, the ways in which people might know and understand what happened growing up with regard to how they uh, modeled relationships or the consistency of their caregiving. But then they are somewhat unconsciously replaying again and again um, some of those wounds with the relationship choices that they make as adults without recognizing how deep in their body there is a way in which they learned at a young age to cope, and the body absorbed that, and it and it got lodged in their body um, as far as um, their their visceral body and what will come up um, at perceived abandonment in a relationship, and then that can really lead to almost subconscious ways in which they um, are caught in the push pull dynamic. Um, whereas when there is real recognition for not only the mind but the heart brain and the gut brain and some of those messages that can help first also reorient people to the here and now that it is different from when they were younger in their life, but also have uh, safe, supported, guided ways to um, discharge that old trauma. It can be discharge practices can happen in the form of sweat and tears and Sighing or other sorts of guttural sounds. Um, it can also come out through, you know, with massage or um, uh, physical therapy and acupuncture. But a lot of times there is this need for the, the release. Um, and those are dis- discharge strategies that people, it's different for everybody. When I work with clients, I help them develop a toolbox of different um, ways to, to discharge the trauma from their body in a safe way. And then that's also balanced out with strategies for containment because if we're feeling too emotionally flooded, we first need to find some safety or grounding in our body. Um, and, and so then we work on containment strategies such as a, a weighted blanket. Wait, wait, Rachel, Rachel. Yeah. Rachel, hang on. Yeah. We're getting, we're getting carried away here with a lot of information. Because okay. I think what I really want, I really want people to understand how this looks in a person's life. 
what does it look like in our body when we're holding on to a trauma? Do you, do you have some examples from your practice? Because I, I think that, um, um, you know, we need to have people get a sense of what the theory is that you're talking about. Well, let me start with the beginning of, let me first explain what bodyfulness is and then give an example. So, okay. uh, so bodyfulness is really three, there's, there's three components to it. And the first corresponds with mindfulness. It's really about embodied mindfulness. First, what is even happening in my body? So to your question, you know, what do I see a lot of? What is the problem of being disconnected from our bodies? Well, a lot of people don't, they don't even know, they're not even tuned in with what they really need in the moment from rest, from food, from time alone, time with others, and they're, that they're cut off from the source of wisdom. So the first layer of bodyfulness is really stopping, slowing down from all the noise outside and in their head to say, what do I really need right now? What is my body telling me? Temperature, what are each of the senses? telling me, so there's all these different inner working systems in our body that are giving us messages all the time. So that's the first embodied mindfulness is just are you paying attention to your body or are you stuck in your head? Now, how does that look with clients? Well, people can be cut off from that first layer of bodyfulness by really over-intellectualizing, not even like being, not even knowing what their emotions are, for example, um, wanting to rationalize everything um, and kind of problem solve and think their way uh, through a lot of things and really not aren't connected to maybe what, you know, what the core emotion is in their body or, um, you know, how their visceral body is responding. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. Like, you know, we yeah. we uh, as a culture, the Western culture, really good at abstracting our experiences and just having it as, uh, you know, a mental process. We think our way through things. We think our way through grief. We think our way through hurt. You know, we we operate basically trying to rise above it <laughs> rather than and to rationalize what's going on rather than to really move into a, a deep feeling place. Yeah. Yeah. So we have been raised to to disregard and override that language of the body. And so we don't listen to it. And then we also don't know what to do with it when we do listen. And so that's where the second layer of bodyfulness is the now what. This goes beyond mindfulness, just thinking mentally. I mean, even the word mindfulness focuses on all about the mind. Um, so that second part of, of bodyfulness is the now what? What do I do with this information now that I am connecting to all the layers and inner workings of my body and the subtle body and energetic body? Um, and that's where I, what I was talking about a moment ago before you cut me off was this idea of, of it can fall into two categories of discharge or containment. So, and that's like, uh, I, I give in the book a whole list of examples of discharge is more how it sounds, like ways to release. What you notice, sometimes we need to cry or sigh or, and sometimes we need to feel grounded and centered. Um, and then that really, my, my whole, uh, my whole point of bodyfulness is that a lot of trauma therapy nowadays really talks about the importance of reestablishing, you know, ease and pleasure and joy. But because so there can be so much energy focusing on just establishing safety, there usually isn't really a lot talked about, you know, how to embody pleasures and joys uh, once again. 
I don't know. Would you Would you agree? Uh, uh, yeah, for some people, it's being guided back to, uh, I think safety is a really good word to feel it. I mean, if we were safe in the first place, we would have allowed ourselves to fully experience whatever that pain or trauma was. But the fact that mm-hmm. we cut it off is where we get into trouble because we may cut it off. We may not allow ourselves to fully experience the emotional component, but it's locked in our bodies anyway. The consciousness, because we cannot separate what's happening with our mind and emotions and us as a call, it still exists. And uh, as a dysfunctional energy flow, you might say, which shows up as some sort of problem in the body. So, mm-hmm. yes, you know, you know, it's really so profound, and there's so much, there is so much interest I find these days on trauma on unresolved trauma that we are holding as illness uh, in some form or other in our bodies, as well as the emotional patterns, dysfunctional patterns, but a lot about what's happening in our body and how the physical imbalances or the physical illnesses that we're experiencing have to do and are profoundly connected with unresolved emotional hurts and wounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean, so I guess where I differentiate bodyfulness differentiates from um, the increasing understanding in the psychological community about trauma in the body is that it really then also goes to that next level of how do we reclaim and own everything from safety and ease to to pleasure and joy and happiness and uh, bliss. But pleasure in particular is probably the most conflicted one that people have a hard time with. It's the most loaded one because of the associations, when in fact it is actually moments of pleasure felt in our bodies that lead to accumulate and lead to the longer-lasting states also of joy and happiness. So bodyfulness is really about both reclaiming our bodies and reclaiming our healthy pleasures in life that help with our resilience, and help with our connection to others. Yeah, interesting. Can you define what you mean by pleasure? Yeah, pleasure is it is first felt in our body on a sensory level, and also then uh, all different types of pleasures, it's interesting, do go to sort of the, the central pleasure center in our brain. So to our brain, it can be the pleasure of a dessert, can register in our brain in the same way as the pleasure of, um, you know, loving touch from from a partner. So that, but it does all start with that sensory experience in our body. So another reason why it's important to be connected, really, to to our body. Um, of course, pleasure is complicated because people can um, abuse it and over rely on it. It's natural as humans to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And that's where the practice of bodyfulness, because those first two layers are about knowing how to self-regulate with discomfort, it means that we're able to open up to um, all of life's pleasures. And I can list in a moment before that I talk about in the book, but it means that then we we can turn to life's pleasures without it uh, being an over-reliance or a way to escape. 
Um, um, okay, so do you want to mention those four levels for us? Yeah, the ones that I really break down in the book. Um, I, now, there's five that I would say there are. I don't go in-depth to one of them, which is altruistic pleasure, in part because because so many people that this book is really written for might be over-giving and self-sacrificing, um, or when they do allow themselves to receive, there's guilt. So I do touch upon altruistic pleasures, and I certainly talk in the book about and connect this to collective care, but... I mainly focus on, I'll list them, and then I can go into more depth, but sensual pleasures, playful pleasures, uh, flow state pleasures in our livelihood, like our work and our liveliness, and then erotic and sexual pleasures. Those are the four that I really focus on. Do I I elaborate? Well, yeah, I'd really love for you to give the us, you know, some practical experiences that either you have had or some of your uh, patients have had so people can get a, a, a sense of how this really shows up in one's life. Yeah, well, I, I see with some of my clients, the ones that are most disconnected to the body, for example, there there might be somebody who is really, uh, comes into the office and is very scattered and restless and I will I, I what sometimes what we'll do is really just bring them onto the ground with a mat have them actually kind of stretch and open up and release and even sometimes those those little movements can really get people deeper into like the tenderness of a core wound or what maybe is really at at the heart of like why they're agitated or distracted. Um, I think we'll, we can, as humans, do everything in our power to try to really avoid dealing with with some of the raw emotions. And so that would be an example of really part of that first and second layer of mindfulness is that we we first kind of pause and I might guide them in meditation of what okay, what is this sort of agitation or restlessness about. Now, sometimes it can be due to ADHD as well. Um, so just differential diagnosis and me knowing my, my clients, it makes a difference. But we first really ground them and get them to breathe and settle them in to listen and get to really get to what is their emotional body saying. And sometimes then that really allows for, for tears and release and recognition that really what they were going through isn't, you know, it's not about the anger so much as the underlying grief. That might be an example in the office. Of how real connection to their body can kind of get them to an inner truth, um, and also helps them not feel so afraid of what is going on within um, as they move into the future. Because inevitably there will be times when there are deep emotions, emotions again. Um, so that would be an, a, a somatic approach in the session. They have, yeah, pardon. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I totally understand because when we can just slow down and and pay attention, um, that's why even the progressive relaxation exercises are so powerful because you are paying attention to the sensations that are going on in your body as you work your way up your body, just noticing um, from your toes all the way up is a, a way to just begin the process 
of being more present, right? You're in, you're present with your body. You're not with your thoughts. You're present with your body, which makes you more available to what it is that you're feeling and connecting us more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, even I've noticed sometimes when I'm doing a meditation and I even just name and mention the subtle body or sort of the energetic body, that acknowledgement of somebody in the space that they feel safe with can sometimes be all it takes for a release, some sort of release, um, you know, with tears, for example, to happen. It's like, it, it, you know, acknowledgement goes such a long way. Um, all of our emotions really just want, for example, they're all different types of energy that want acknowledgement and want to move through. So a lot of what I see is just helping people feel safe in the space to go to that vulnerable place in the body and listen to notice to release and not feel so afraid or cut off from it, really start to befriend what's going on and see and see the different types of energy within and emotions within as really important messengers versus bad or something to be um, avoided. So in your book, The Pleasure is All Yours, what is it that you are wanting to give to people? What are some practical um, insights or skills that you really are wanting to provide for people and help them understand about themselves and about reconnecting to pleasure? Well, I want, I, I really started in the first section of the book just explaining how did we get here? How did we get to this place of being so sick of our reliance on pharmaceuticals, um, the increase in just fatigue and um, different mental health problems, um, our disconnection from one another? Um, because, of course, you know, with, with everything going on in the world, a book about pleasure, really? So, um so I explain, you know, well, how did we get to this point that we feel such an absence of, um, you know, connection to our bodies and to all of life's pleasures, um, not just erotic and sexual ones. Um, and so I wanted people to understand that, not so that they could feel depressed about it, but to recognize that a lot of that, you know, conditioning and messaging um, away from our natural humanness is not something that we have to accept. We can all be our own sort of inner rebel that says, you know, my body is wise, I'm going to listen to it, and I can have balanced pleasures, and balanced pleasures actually make me feel more balanced, more whole, more um, magnetic um, with others. And so I really wanted people to understand that it's not their fault and we're not broken and that the, the path to wholeness is within us. It doesn't require a prescription or a lot of money or some fancy gadget. Um, it really is through somatic practices of, you know, both within our body and giving ourselves mental permission to receive, to receive what feels good, that there's nothing bad, shameful, or guilty about feeling good in our bodies, especially when we come from a really wise place, an intentional place. So how did we get here? Well, along the lines of what I was mentioning before, and, and the book really, again, is more of a criticism of American culture, and I know you are, are overseas, so perhaps different there. I, I haven't grown up in Australia, but um, 
we got here in the U.S. because of the um, really puritanical religions that were very uh, afraid of ambiguity, afraid of, uh, of pleasure and carnal pleasures in particular, leading people astray uh, from work, from pious um, uh, lifestyle and from whatever that um, sacrifices needed to be made to get to heaven and the next life. Um, and we moved that into the Industrial Revolution, which really turned us into robots. It said, don't listen to your body. Don't listen to the need for rest, for balance, for connection, uh, because then that's not productive. It leads us astray. And it's so sad because we, I mean, we're not machines and we are not robots. And it's a beautiful thing that we're not. But just look at the over-reliance on screens. It's like we're becoming these cyborgs. Um, and it's really, it's making people really disconnected from themselves and from other people in a lot of ways. So that's how, that's well, how I would certain. summarize a lot of how we got here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, we certainly can see how much of our lives are spent, oh, you know, in front of our screens, and especially these days, disconnected from other people, sometimes, you know, forcibly, like right now what's happening in Australia where they don't really want people to even speak to each other, which is taking things to an extreme. Um Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be guided back in simple ways, especially if people are feeling disconnected. We can't get that personal touch as much as we want or what we're used to. It's finding other ways to reconnect. So, you know, I'd be really curious before we go there and, and talk about how to increase the sense of pleasure in our body. Um, can you give us some understanding? Because I know you've researched this on many levels. What goes on in the brain? How does the experience of pleasure register in the brain, and how does that affect our perceptions? Uh, well, as I was mentioning earlier, there there is a pleasure center. Different activities that we experience that, you know, to our receptors that, that feel good and inviting, it all then goes to the same place in the brain that registers as pleasure versus pain and, you know, aversion. And, I mean, there's even pleasures that, that can be found in activities that are kind of preventing a, a later pain. Like maybe nobody would say going to the dentist is pleasurable, but there is a way in which you can even sort of leaving the dentist can like register in a way of like feeling like, okay, I'm staying on top of this and avoiding a potential pain. So I think that we are evolutionarily speaking really all wired to yeah, to lean towards like what is going to feel good. Now, of course, we need to recognize that life isn't all about um, eating bonbons on the couch and you know and um, it, adulting in the world and just being a human also means that there is also pain and suffering and discomfort. Um, so there is you know as far as kind of this asking about the brain, there is a cause and effect all the time between the brain and the body, all the time. And what I talk about with bodyfulness is that we, you can develop something called interoception. So have you heard, Cheryl, of, of proprioception? Probably. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's awareness of, like, our bodies in space. And then interoception is that awareness of all the, you know, what's happening within us and our, you know, equilibrium. Um, and so 
somatic practices help build interoception that helps us self-regulate. So that there is, is an example of really this feedback loop between the brain and the body all the time. Um, that registers, yeah, what is painful, what is pleasurable, or what, you know, and, and when I say pain and pleasure, really what I mean also is, um, you know, pain is, can come in the form of fatigue or an ache or a heartache um, versus pleasure in the form of, you know, yeah, feeling something essential or safe or um, feeling validated. So I'm using those terms, but a lot can go into the categories of pleasure and pain. Um, but once we really develop that feedback loop between our brain and our body, we develop more confidence in our ability to ride the wave of what is painful and not turn to pleasure as a crutch. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question as far as the very specifics of the brain, of, of, since I'm not a neuroscientist. Um, but I do know that from an evolutionary perspective, um, you know, pleasure practices you know, are, are, were helpful to keep us alive because it helped give us also some resilience. It also taught us sort of like to turn to things that were regenerative and life force energies versus things that were not. But but yeah, as far as all some of the specifics of the neuroanatomy, um, I would probably defer to neuroscientists for that. Well, I know that um, anytime we experience new behaviors, we are creating um, new connections in our brain, which is why mm-hmm. it's always important to be open to new experiences. But just try anything different, even if it's just using your left hand rather than your right hand, will create new connections. And whenever we are experiencing new behaviors, we're also giving ourselves a chance because we're rewiring, in a sense, making new new connections possible. We can see the world in different ways. So it's important to be open to experiencing things and stepping out of the mold that we operate with and the habits that we have. You know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking of times when um, I was doing mindfulness regarding food, right? So we often just eat and we have no attention or awareness of what we're even putting in our mouth or how it's tasting and those times where you have to really slow down right and savor whatever you're eating if it's you know whatever it is savor it savor the smell the texture the taste and just be very present that is for me an, an example of what you're talking about of how to be more present and experience the pleasure of 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 food you're eating. Right, yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of dissociating, a lot of uh, because we just get so tired or the life is too overwhelming or um, something going on in the present reminds us of something from the past that is traumatic. So there can be a lot of just yet yeah, checking out, uh, numbing, dissociating, and, um, you know, what a sad testament if we're always trying to do that, that we're not really then, you know, living life. Um, But certainly food is one of our earliest, most primal relationships, and it's very easy to abuse. And I've worked with a lot of people, yeah, with emotional eating, uh, where they're in a trance, really. They're not even really savoring um, and enjoying the food that they're eating right there. That's a pleasure 
that they're sort of missing out on and, well, and, and abusing, really. So food is definitely a good example. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so if you were to um, share some practical strategies that you recommend in your practice to your patients, to your clients, ways to become more um, aware or more mindful so they can begin to reconnect with pleasure. I mean, I, I just think even getting out and walking on a morning grass with do, you know, and just feeling what that is like. Any time we can just slow down and pay attention, we can feel what's going on with our body. What What are some of your favorite recommendations for people to start getting in touch with that sensory awareness, which can, you know, be interpreted as pleasure? Yeah, yeah, I have in my book um, what I call a body narrative worksheet that can uh, inspire just some different ways to um, start with embodiment practices slowly and subtly um, and then also build to pleasure practices. But I think a lot of it is breath, of course, is certainly um, very important. It's um, There's such a ripple effect from our breath with our nervous system. and So a lot of just noticing how you're breathing, are you breathing, for example, I start all my sessions with clients doing a breathing and grounding and centering meditation. Um, and different embodiment practices such as, you know, are you even feeling your feet on the ground? Are you oriented to the space you're in, given how often our brains can kind of time travel into the future or the past? So a lot of sort of reorienting, centering, grounding, bringing your hands even to your center, bringing like our hands to our belly or our heart center, that helps. Uh, people feel the rise and fall of their chest and their belly. Um, I'll teach people practices also such as maybe alternate nostril breathing to sort of help guide their mind into their body. So some of my suggestions come uh, from sometimes yogic practices and philosophy since I'm a yoga teacher. Um, I certainly invite in people really to connect with sense by sense what soothes them. So um, whether it be essential oils or music or water, water can be really a wonderful kind of way to, to melt people in back into the moments in their body in a soothing way. Um, but also to recognize, you know, nature and animals and how that co-regulates our nervous system and our body. Um, Particularly, you know, animals or even other people can co-regulate us as far as sort of help us feel calm in our body. So even noticing those energetic interactions. Um, but it really is a practice. It is an ongoing, like, practice to keep coming into the body and our senses. Even You know, sometimes we don't want to be in our senses. It's loud or um, something smells or something tastes bad or, you know, so it's kind of all of the above. Um and then I also encourage pleasure practices. So, you know, what are some things that do feel good and enjoyable, and how do you know that within you? And is there a storyline around why you feel you shouldn't have that or don't deserve that or shouldn't receive it? Um, um, so I have some worksheets in the book as well to just break down, um, you know, get somebody giving themselves some healthy pleasure practices. And sometimes pleasure comes in the form of just taking a break from work. You know, putting, closing the computer, 
walking around the block and letting yourself let out a big sigh. I think that's a big one for in capitalist countries where there's constant work. It's just do we allow ourselves the pleasure of a break or rest or letting go? Um, so that's a hard one for some people. Uh, you know, uh, I know that because in your in your um, practice working with sexuality and intimacy, what we haven't talked about, but I think probably we need to talk about it, is that what what you're sharing about erotic pleasure. What what do we need to know from your perspective and from your teachings to help experience a greater pleasure, greater pleasure in our sexual sensual relationships. Yeah, I well, and I, I do distinguish in the book um, between more erotic pleasure and sexual pleasure, and and with erotic really being about an energy. There's an energy exchange, um, and it can even be an energy exchange between an erotic piece of art and ourselves, rather than even just another sentient being. Um, whereas sex is a behavioral act, and what I really try to reframe is the fact that. You know, what's sad is that here is a very, you know, regenerative life force energy that can foster um, creativity and um, um, and really blossom our desires. And that it's been something that has been discouraged and shamed. Um, and so, so how it's really about helping people reframe that idea of and this is something that we you know we all came from a body and we all came from a sexual being it's natural and so the problem isn't this natural humanness the problem is the the narrative the dominant narrative that really didn't kind of know how to handle that life force energy and kind of the potency of erotic energy um, that buried it and, and labeled it as you know sinful um, so and I also really try to help normalize just people um, in their own body relative to the um, more patriarchal messages of how we're supposed to look. I talk about um, all the body othering, you know, so if we're, if we're told our body doesn't look the right size or shape, um, and we're told that we didn't have sex, we lost our virginity at the wrong time or place, we didn't do it in the right way. You know, all these messages of, of fitting into this one mold, it really prevents a lot of comfort with our sexual selves and eroticism. So I also try to help people really embrace just that their natural desires and pleasures and um, outer appearance of their body is is beautiful. And our bodies are so wise. And they're always rooting for our survival and always looking out for us. So a real reframe away from what, um, I did not coin this term, but really uh, the body terrorism, this idea of how bodies are shamed for their, you know, their weight, their performative value, their ableism, their skin color, their gender. So really trying to break free from that so we can embrace the, the beauty and wisdom and life force energy of our own bodies and and share that with others in a way that um, can foster intimacy. So I know that was, that was a, a lot there too. <laughs> yeah, it was. So do you have a like one practice you um, offer your clients in, in regards of uh, just experience more sensual or erotic pleasure, not necessarily getting into sex, but just 
just opening up the body to more uh, more of that pleasure. What do you have something you know a, a favorite exercise practice you recommend? Oh, so one yeah, one favorite exercise. You know, I think what's it's hard for me because um, so much of what I talk about in my book is how we we do want these quick fixes, and I think of everything in a more hierarchical way, hierarchical way, in which it's like these building blocks. Um, but um, you know, I, it's, I do talk a lot about movement as medicine, and just that you know, letting yourself move, whether it be stretching or dancing, um, you know, or kind of rolling around playing. But I'm a big fan of, of of this idea of expression, not repression. So maybe the practice that I probably emphasize the most is, you know, after that kind of embodied mindfulness, just let yourself release and express. You know, we are creatures that are meant to sing and dance. And, and, and all of that, really does then translate into the bedroom because if we're able to express and release also you know out on the dance floor or just in our own in our own living room dancing and and singing um we really have that flow of energy within that then makes it more comfortable um to really know what we want and need when we're with somebody else um and and to be able to ask what we want and have that energy exchange of giving and taking um, with intimacy. So that's where I would say movement practices. Like the more that you're kind of moving and flowing and releasing in your body outside of the bedroom, the more that you'll, you'll feel at home being able to ask for that and give and receive that in the bedroom. Yeah, I love that. I think that um, we don't do enough dancing in our culture and just moving with you know, music of whatever sort. I don't mean even dancing on the dance floor, although that's possible, but just smoking mm-hmm. and flowing with the energies as we're listening to music. The times that I've done that uh, have have been so profound. You know, I remember well, there must have been times in our culture where, you know, even more indigenous cultures where dance was such a part of the culture and, and part of expression of those emotions. And, and they were just, occurring all the time is you know rituals that happened on a regular basis and that's something else that we need to bring back into our lives the the uh, power of movement and movement with music of all sorts of varieties right and um yeah you know just get back in touch with a feeling and letting the body move yes 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 movement i always say movement is medicine and i say expression not repression. I have a lot of little rhymes. I also say um, motion is lotion. These are ones I've just picked up and heard now and then. Um, I'm not saying I invented them. Um, you know, your issues are in your tissues. <laughs> I got a lot of rhymes up my sleeve. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Is there anything else you want to share with um, my listeners that we haven't touched upon so far? Well, I really, I, I want to just convey that um, even a little bit more than I maybe already have, just the fact that um, within our own bodies and with, within reclaiming our right to pleasure, it really actually can lead to collective care. It sounds like it's a more of an individual thing, but it, that's where it starts. But but I think that people who are more bodyful and really um, kind of own their rights to some of their own pleasures are people who have also done energy for others. And 
energy to, to give. Um, and, um, and that right there is, is more collective care rather than, um, you know, dancing in our body and feeling pleasure that way, being something that's selfish or lavish. It really is a way to uh, know ourselves, have an inner knowing and embrace ourselves um, to stop our own, you know, body terrorism that can allow us to show up and um, be there more freely for for others. Um, and research has shown that um, the, the pleasure is derived from, like, a, a music concert or an event where people are sharing it together really lead to more altruism, um, collectively altruism and this um, real compassion for others. So when we engage in these joyful, pleasurable activities together, especially ones that involve our body, whether it be a, you know, a bike, a bike course or a dance um, or a music concert, it really aids in the sense of, of um, altruism and connection to others. Oh, I love that. That's a, just a great, a great point to end on, that the more we are experiencing these pleasures and involved with um, other people, the more we are accessing that altruism and compassion within ourselves. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So um, I want people to know all about your book. So the pleasure is all yours. Reclaim your body's bliss and reignite your passion for life. And, of course, I'm talking with Rachel Allen. If you'd like to learn more and to get a copy of Rachel's book, then the best place to go is her website, which is Dr. Rachel Allen, and Allen is A-L-L-Y-N.com. Is there anything else that people need to know as far as accessing your book and learning more about your work? Do you do um, a virtual consultations, Rachel? Yep. Yeah, I do have, I do most of my work now, um, phone and video, mainly video, and then I have a couple days in the office as of now. Um, I also do retreats. Right now I just have one on the horizon um, because just with everything with the pandemic, but um, my retreats are a really great way to connect to bodyfulness and life pleasures. Um, but, yeah, my website is a good way to reach me, and then you can access, you know, I have videos on my Instagram and YouTube channel that people can watch as well. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so a lot to learn, and people want to learn more about Rachel's work, just go to her website, Dr. Rachel Allen, A-L-L-Y-N.com. Rachel, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, and good luck with your book and the wonderful work you're doing and getting people reconnected to the source of who we are, which has to do with pleasure. And, um, and to all of you listening, so bring more pleasure into your life today. Just try some simple things that we've talked about and See how that opens up new possibilities for you. It's always about trying new things. If we want our life to change, we have to be willing to do something different. So until next time, this is Dr. Cheryl Selman. You're listening to The Love Code. And remember to fill your week with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. Bye.